right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Lone Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, good, man. I really like it when um, there's an international break, so all the games have to have finished by the end of Sunday. So, you know, it feels like the Saturday, Sunday, Friday evening as well. You've just got a few more games, easier to watch as well. You can watch a, a Nice to watch like a couple on a Sunday, for example. And uh, yeah, I quite like it because um, the Monday games for me are a bit difficult to watch, man. I, I don't know. It's something about on a Monday night. It doesn't feel, you know, obviously Sky have tried to make it Monday night football and all that, but like mm. the reality is, like, you know, it's, it's your first day back at work. You're, you're shattered after a long day. And then, <laughs> you know, it does feel like a little bit of uh, something kind of stuck on at the end. It's a little bit out of place, those Monday night games, especially as the big free ready play on those days. It's interesting, though, because, you know, in England, we have almost like traditional days uh, when, when football matches happen, you know, you have your Saturday, your Saturday afternoon game and then in the lower leagues, Tuesday night is often a traditional day for football. But I think in Portugal, it just seems like anything goes really Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, it's just whenever they can, whenever they can fit them in at any time of day and night as well. I tell you that I would, I would like to go to a, an 8.30, 9 o'clock kickoff, you know, for, for a league game. That, that'd be something so different, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. the idea of having all day to think about, all day to, you know, have a drink if you want to. Like, it's, yeah, it, I think that could be really cool. I would definitely want to do that one time. Yeah, not one for those who've got to go to work the next day, but definitely, definitely an experience. Well, as you alluded to, it was a great, it was a great weekend, I thought. I thought it was a lot of good football on show. And of course, we're going to deal with a good chunk of it in this week's show. But first, uh, we've got a little bit of news to discuss before we get into the games. And that is that this week, the Directorate General of Health for Portugal uh, announced that Portuguese football stadiums will return to 100% capacity. The um, uh, public health department indicated that it was safe for outdoor events to return to full capacity. Portugal is currently second in the world rankings in terms of vaccination rates. They've, 84% of people have had two vaccines. And a quick check over last week's cases showed they have an average between six to 700 cases per day, which is relatively low uh, for world statistics. So it does seem like a good move uh, and a good way for Portuguese people to return to a bit of normality, especially as someone myself who's been to full capacity football games in England this season. It's such an amazing experience to get back out there and to be involved with. So I think we're both delighted that Portuguese fans will be able to, to be able to do that and, we just want to be part of it and get out there and get to a game as soon as possible, really. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, because, because these stadiums aren't they? They're so um, some of them aren't that big already. And then if if you've got no fans in the seats, it just looks mm. even more sort of ghosty, doesn't it? It looks it's see, so yeah, it's can't wait to see fans in there and, and just see what they bring to um, bring to the teams. Really, I mean, um, it is an interesting situation though. It does seem in Portugal, doesn't it? That crowd numbers, crowd figures, and 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 how much influence they have on on the teams. Like you know, I still feel like we haven't seen as many fans as I perhaps naively would have expected when we started this podcast. If you if you see what I mean. No, it's a fair point. I think um, it's something everyone knows. Really, is that you know Portuguese football has an issue with crowd numbers, um, especially when you look outside the big three. I mean, even the big three or not fill their stadiums for, for games other than uh, Classicos, really. Uh, but as soon as you get outside the big three, the stadium numbers really start to dwindle. Yeah, you're right. I did see some statistics on Twitter over the weekend um, about, you know, now that we've had eight games this season and every club's had had four home games, um, someone did the maths and worked out the kind of average stadium uh, attendance. Obviously, this is during a period when uh, stadium capacity is limited to, I believe, 30 or 40 percent but anyway there's an awful lot of clubs who are still getting under that even after uh, 18 months without fans interestingly Barney the club ranked highest in terms of the percentage of their stadium that was forward the percentage of their stadium allocation that was uh, taken up by ticket purchases was family cow uh, their average attendance was only 2,000 but that's 38.8 percent of their stadium capacity and then after that you have Benfica in second, averaging 37%, Vitoria averaging 35%, and Porto averaging 32%. And when you look at purely crowd numbers, who's getting the biggest crowds? Of course, Benfica in first with an average of 23,800, Porto with an average of 16,000, Sporting with an average of 15,000, and Vitoria with an average of 10,000. 
But as you say, it's really down the other end where you have to start looking at where the issues lie. I mean, as soon as you get out of, of, of the top four, um, the average attendance drops dramatically. And from sixth place all the way down to the bottom, you're not getting an average attendance of more than 4,000 people attending a football match, which in the top flight is really surprising to see. There could be a number of factors as to why live football is not as popular in Portugal uh, and a number of reasons why people aren't heading out to support their local team. But the one thing we'll say, as people who've followed the league as closely as we can for the last season and a half, it's not because of the standard of football on the show, surely. It is a bit of a, a, a real weird one for me, and mainly because, you know, like you said, the quality of football is there. But the effect it ha- must have on the, the club as a as a business, if you will, like it's going to affect them drastically. And so, you know, we talked about fairly recently on this podcast, the shock at the some of the wages that these players are on in the top division, you know, and of course that's going to be a result of the fact that they're not able to like regularly sell out stadiums. You know, they, they need the money coming through the turnstiles and there's obviously going to be a lot of reasons, uh, you know, but from a financial point of view, as a club, as a business, it's going to hit you hard. And it's all the more reason why we need this um, TV rights deal to come in because, you know, of course there's a, a huge cafe sort of bar culture in Portugal isn't it? where I, I imagine a lot more people would have a better time in a, in a, in a cafe, in a bar, watching a game chatting to their friends in a more casual atmosphere than they would perhaps forking out you know whatever it is 20 25 euros to, to go into a stadium and sit outside and they need this they need to start the tv rights quickly to sort of you know help help these teams because i mean i know bsad is a bit of a weird one but how, how many people are they averaging coming to their game so far this season yeah bsad averaging 646 oh uh, mate <laughs> <potatoes>. <laughs> there's probably more yeah. coaches on the bench than there <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, we did get an interesting response because I did do a tweet about the news that that, that full stadiums were coming back and we did get an interesting response. A couple of people were saying, you know, well, it makes no difference because most clubs aren't getting full capacity in normal times anyway. I asked a couple of people why they thought that was and a couple of people did mention ticket prices as being too expensive, uh, suggesting that, you know, 15 euro tickets or 20 euro tickets are too expensive for average Portuguese person to, to be forking out every week totally understandable really but again as you say you know it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation where what do the clubs do if they're not getting any money from from ticket sales it's not like they can lower the prices they're not getting money from the tv deal you know they've got to get their income from somewhere you even compare it to something like how expensive the 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 replica shirt prices are in portugal i was Mm. shocked you know as a tourist going to to portugal we visiting you know relatively medium to small size club shops in portugal and seeing that the shirts are still 60 70 euros each it's just you know, it does seem pretty incredible, but you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what is a really kind of huge conversation about the financial state of Portuguese football and and what needs to be done to make it more sustainable. It's such a huge conversation. It's not something we can deal with just in the intro to one episode. Maybe it's something we'll have to look into speaking to somebody about. But I don't want to leave it on a sour note. We do, you know, we should just get back to the good news, which is that for those people who've been prevented from going to the stadium for such a long time in Portugal, at least now, the option is there. And we both hope that, you know, after such a long time about football, maybe the general public are more energised to get out there, support their team in the stadium, cheer them on, get that live football experience, which you really cannot compare to watching at home or in a bar on the TV. Well, look, let's get straight into the games of the week. As I alluded to earlier, there were some fantastic football shows, some great results, some drama up and down the table. But there is only one place we can start, and that is with Benfica versus Portman Ends. Benfica, of course, coming off the back of seven straight league wins, a phenomenal 3-0 win against Barcelona in the Champions League. And just a week after Barney said on record on this very podcast that I cannot see Benfica losing this season, what happens the following league? They lose 1-0 to Porto and ends at home in the Estadio de Luz. Barney, I just wonder if there's anything you would like to say to the Benfica fans listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you, you twisted my words slightly. I was saying that I, I couldn't see them losing until they play perhaps Sporting in December. But <laughs> um, yeah, real shock, wasn't it? I mean, mm. you, know, you mentioned that Barcelona performance, which I thought was uh, well one of the best performances I've seen from a Portuguese club in Europe. I mean, yeah, I thought Portsmouth just, I think they did it so right, Albert. I think um, one of the great defensive performances that, you know, sort of reminded me like Porto against Juventus in the Champions League last season. It was that real, like, Mm. they were so well organised. The whole, the whole, it felt like the whole team was defending for their lives in moments, you know, really putting it in and um, 
what I found interesting perhaps is um, Paolo Sergio's comments after the game from the Portman's manager, he was, which I were quite honest, I thought. He said, it was a victory of effort and the players fully deserve to live this victory. If you ask me if Benfica deserved to lose the game, I would say no. We have to be honest in our analysis, but the victory is very good for my players for, for what they did. And I, I, you know, he's obviously referring to how dominant Benfica were and how, mm. but I feel, still feel that that's taken the gloss of what was, you know, some of these players just absolutely playing out of their skins for Portsmouth. I thought it was incredible. No, well, do you know what? I do actually agree uh, with the manager there. And I will come on to Benfica in a second. But I do, you know, we should talk about Portsmouth because it's a great victory for them. And, and we need to give them all the credit. And for me, personally, full credit has to go to, in my opinion, the man of the match and the best football player on the pitch comfortably. And that was the Portsmouth goalkeeper, Samuel Portugal. And you know, I know you might be able to tell more people about his story, Barney. We spoke about him last season. He's someone we've watched for a while. He broke through into that team last season. Always put in good performances, in my opinion. You know, I've not watched every single game of football that Samuel Portugal has ever played, but I'm willing to bet that that performance that he put in against Benfica was the best performance uh, of his career so far. You know, he was absolutely fantastic. He saved absolutely everything that Benfica threw him. And I know you like your XG stats, Barney. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew this. They do the same thing for goalkeepers, apparently. It's called expected saves. Now, Samuel Portugal made six saves compared to an expected get an expected saves figure of 2.8 saves. Ooh, so if you like me and you don't really get what that means, it basically means that this guy was saving stuff that he had absolutely no right to be saving. Some ridiculous saves in this game. But what I thought was also really important was he, he seemed to come out for and clear crosses, didn't he? Because uh, Benfica were putting some really tasty balls in, into the mix, but he just, you know, was able helping his team out in that way as well. It was a lot of people saying it's one of the best performances from a keeper at the study of the lose. And I think that's, you know, that's that's spot on. I think he's 27, isn't he, Albert? So I, always, I in my head, I thought he was a bit younger, but still like, you know, this is a handy keeper. Young for a goalkeeper. Yeah, not bad for a goalkeeper. And, you know, he's got to be playing number one. And I don't know if a big, a bigger club will come in for him or something like that and, and to be the number two or something like that. But I, I, I just love seeing him play. He's got... um. It's the Portman's goalkeeper kits as well. They're really, really nice. Um, <laughs> but I think um, I think we've also got a lot, of, a lot of credit to that that back five, Albert. I think um, Fali Kande, a huge performance from him in this mm. game. I thought it, it incredibly put that. You think of that goal line clearance towards the end, and um, arguably Benfica's best side is that is that right hand side, isn't it? You could say Remshut drifting wide, Rafa out there as well, but. He, he, he almost completely nullified them both for it. You know, when it mattered, they obviously had their chances, but when it mattered, he, he was able to put a tackling. And alongside Pedro, the ex-CD National man, who uh, was also brilliant, I think the, the whole back line, I mean, just, yeah, it was, it's a, a really impressive defensive display. Yeah, I think you, you could pick out a number of players in that back line to give to give the credit to. And, you know, for me, I gave the credit to, to the goalkeeper because I thought, you know, although they did defend very well, as Paolo Sergio was alluding to, you know, Benfica did break them down a number of times. This wasn't a Benfica side that didn't have any shots on target. I think there were two or three situations where they should have scored. And the only thing that stopped them was the goalkeeper, not the defence. You know, but that said, obviously, uh, it was a very good team performance, you know. And I don't think this is a performance that's come out of nowhere either. This is a Portman's team full of confidence. Um, I think they would have gone into this gone into this game knowing that they could have got a result. I think they'll be over the moon that that result was a win and not you know a, a hard earned draw or something like that. But nonetheless, I don't think this is a complete surprise. I don't think this is some kind of smash and grab result. Well, maybe a, a little bit of a smash and grab uh, being one 0 But you know, my my point being that for anyone who's paid attention to Portugal into this season or over the last uh, six months or so, will have known that. This form has been coming, the form that they're currently in. You know, they're in fifth place in the league, uh, going into the international break. A world away, in my opinion, the start of last season they had, where they, you know, they were firm relegation contenders. They were smarter in this game, weren't they? But like, um, he went with Fabrizio and Bermorte up top, and, and not as an attacking formation as we usually see from Portsmouth ends. But, you know, having these two up top, it just meant they could... Um, Fabrizio was much better at hold-up play, which was very useful in this game, and obviously bring a bit more experience than a Ponza who's, who's also impressed up top for them um, this season but um, so smart choice in that and then Bo Morty you know is going to work and work and there's something about this Portimans team that these players you know a lot of them similar stories coming up through the Portuguese leagues um, are now here they, they, they're in the Premier League they're, and they're looking like seasoned top division players you know they're, they're really getting to their best I think and it's, it's all coming at the right time and, uh, and uh, 
I'm really happy for Portman. So I think it's it's, um, it's so good to see. Fantastic result. And for Benfica, Barney, I think, you know, obviously I'm sure the fans will be very disappointed, but I don't think there's really any reason to get carried away after this result. Just as, in my opinion, there wasn't any reason to get carried away after winning the first seven games of the season and being four points clear. You know, everything can change so quickly in this league. They're back to the that one-point league. There's a long way to go in the season. I think the focus now just has to be on bouncing back, continuing the good performances and not panicking because, you know, the good results will come back very quickly. I think the general vibe after the game is everyone seems to be saying the same thing. It's, it's hard to be critical because of, they did deserve to win, essentially. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I think it's easy for me to say in hindsight stuff like perhaps they need to play a few more fresh faces or something like that. You know, you use Ferret's top goal score last season. I, but I don't think that's that's really... I, I wouldn't change the team who's been playing so well, I think. Um, so Huggins is just right to keep the team. I think the only thing I would say is that it's potentially come at a bad time. You've got this international break and the cup games to come. The four points has gone down to one. And you compare it to Sporting last season when they kept the momentum. They had a big enough gap for such a long time, didn't they? They weren't really questions until, you know, the, the, the latter stages of the season. So Porto and Sporting will be over the moon with this. It puts everyone back in it. And um, this unbeatable Benfica team that we thought we had in our hands have, have been got. And, and it does change everything. So, um, yeah, huge congrats to Portman. I think you're right, though. Benfica still a very good team, an exciting team. But you can't discount Porto and Sporting, can you? And, and that's the difference between comparing them to Sporting and the gap they had last season. You mentioned George Jesus there, Barney. Some interesting comments from him before the game and, and some good stuff online I saw after the game. So obviously before the game, George Jesus has come out and said quite controversially that he knew Porto Menendez would defend better than Barcelona, which I thought was a nice comment. And then after the game, I don't know if you saw this, Porto Menendez put out a tweet, uh, which was just a video of them celebrating the goal with the caption, at Barcelona. Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> It's good stuff, man. <laughs> it's good stuff. That's what we're all here for. <laughs> well, let's move on. Let's talk about Porto, Barney. Uh, and it was another 2-1 victory over a mid-table team. But this time, they had to come from a goal down to beat Passos de Ferreira in a very interesting game. Let's start with the uh, performance of Wendell, Barney, the left-back that they signed from Leverkusen. Uh, he got Porto's second goal uh, and was involved in Porto attacks throughout the game. What did you make of him? Because I feel like it's one of the first opportunities that we've really had to, to have a good look at him. He, he obviously signed at the end of the window and has made a few appearances, but he played 90 minutes in the game, like a good attacking threat. Uh, and I think, yeah, one of the first good opportunities we've had to have a look at him. He's definitely better than Makano at left back, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, yeah, hell of a finish for his goal, wasn't it? Um, uh, really well taken. I've been surprised that Sanusi's been getting starts in the Champions League because I feel like he Wendell's coming with this bit more experience um, having played in, in the German League for quite some time I think what I like with Wendell is he's far more comfortable on the ball isn't he he wouldn't only hug the touchline but he's very much prepared to come inside as well you know like we see Man City do with their fullbacks coming inside being an extra person in midfield he, he was very mm. happy to do that and that, that, that worked quite well I thought at points in this game I seem to have a fairly decent relationship with, with Diaz as well I think he looks perhaps a bit more defensively sound than Sanusi but like you say it is early days but uh, good, good to see him and I thought that he had a really good game in this one I mean yeah when you compare it to Zaidu Sanusi I think he's as you say his his end product is head and shoulders above what Zaidu produces um, I think you look at the deliveries he provided throughout the game and of course as you mentioned the very very well taken finish to get his goal. It's interesting you mentioned his defensive ability though because that was the one caveat that I had written down. I did think that he was partly at fault for Passos's goal. Both him and Marcano uh, failed in their attempts to head the ball clear. Pretty poor uh, defensive headers left them both on the floor and left uh, Passos in a two-on-one situation against Pepe which, which led to the goal. But generally I think it was a very positive performance and um, good sign that Porto have got a really good left back on their hands. We've got to talk about Taremi Barney. Now, he's been on an incredible run of form recently, but his game ended, of course, uh, in a red card. And it was a controversial second yellow for simulation that saw him get sent off. Now, we're going to discuss the alleged dive, of course. So if you've not seen it, uh, I recommend you go and watch the highlights so you know what we're talking about. But I really am keen to get your thoughts on the decision on the second yellow and how you saw that going down. 
Um, I like the way you say alleged as if it was he's on trial or something like that. It's, it's, it's an absolute, <laughs> it was an absolute dive, wasn't it, mate? It, it, was, <laughs> it was so really just really disappointing because we've obviously heaped a lot of praise on Trent recently for for good reasons too. But I had no idea why he did it. I feel like perhaps some players and some coaches might overthink the awarding of penalties. You know, and there's all you know you hear pundits say all the time that. If you feel a touch in the box, you, you have to go down to, to make it obvious enough or something like that because it's it's very hard to sometimes get pens awarded. I whether Taremi's been that's been drilled into him or whatever, because you, you could almost see him react where he felt his foot go on top of the defenders and then he sort of flung himself forward. I thought I think yeah, and the fact that he got the second yellow is just it was the icing on the cake and, and a real shame because it just it was so silly and it and it, it made me think back to him in the Champions League last season where he got a, a second yellow for kicking the ball away. And, and that seemed really stupid in that moment. So I just think that, you know, these two situations, it's it's a little chink in the armour, isn't it, for, for Taremi and, and how, how impressive player is. Because, um, yeah, it's got he's missing this, uh, the next game and just a, a, a sign of him perhaps not being completely switched on in moments. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried now that I'm going to get absolutely hammered, but I'm going to disagree with with you slightly there, I do sympathise with Taremi a little bit. I don't think it was some awful, you know, heinous crime that people are suggesting is. And I think there are definitely angles that I've seen which clearly show that Taremi's foot is hit, not by the defender's foot, but there's a clear contact from his foot on the defender's knee. Now, look, just to state my position clearly, in my opinion, it's not enough to warrant a foul or really make Taremi fall. But... You know, nevertheless, I think there is definite contact there. Uh, Taremi's clearly felt it and gone down. Obviously, look, the ref's not gone for it this time. Uh, and in fact, he's penalised and paid the price with the second yellow. But I, I don't know. I feel like it was, it was a tad harsh. I mean, look, I understand the rules. My only point here is really that I don't think this was some kind of, you know, disgusting cheating that some people are, are making it out to be. I think there are clear angles that show that show contact was there. But again, as I said, not really enough uh, for the foul and not really enough to make him go down but um, enough really to make him make that split decking decision that, that all strikers will have to make I think it's um, what it does do is open the door for it was good to see Evan Nielsen on in this game uh, getting, getting, getting some minutes um, whether Conscious Sal decides to go with him and uh, Tony Martinez next game I or whether he trusts one of them to to do a job by themselves, you know, if, if we've been seeing him play sort of four two three one, he's been playing with the youngsters. It's um, I just wanted to reiterate Albert about Contrast on this Porto team, you know, the fact that they haven't lost in the league since October the thirtieth last year. You know, we've just seen Benfica lose, um, obviously Sporting won the league, but here Porto are, you know, still unbeaten in such a long time. You know, ticking over the points, they keep coming in. Plus this season, you've got this new dynamic where. Conscious Hell seems to be trusting youth, which is a, a completely different situation to last season. There's a, you know, you think about Conscious Hell starting 11 last season, which you could name every single player for every single yeah. game. Yeah. And then, you know, here we are with Chico Conscious uh, Fabio Vera, Vitinha, all like, all looking great and, and, and getting, continuing this momentum of getting results in and it's um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on board the Porto train, man. I think <laughs> they're looking fantastic. Well, when I predicted them to win the league initially, I was embarrassed. But now you're saying that, Barney, I'm going to own it. Porto to win the league. <laughs> no, look, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. As I always say, early days, early days. No, I agree. I think they've looked very good. I think Contessao definitely has his flaws. And I think, you know, some of the some of the fans lose their patience with him at times. But the one thing you're going to, you're always going to get at least is a hell of a lot of effort and a hell of a lot of an endeavour. And if this year they can pair that with bringing through some of the youth players that we've seen and, and building on, on on the solid foundations that they've got, they're in with a great chance. I really like Chico Conscious on this game. I think he impressed me uh, because we haven't seen much from Avi, I thought, was, but his pace looked um, very dangerous in parts. And then Vitinha again, I feel like every week I should just read out his passing accuracy, but um, if 94.1% passing accuracy with 84 passes, you know, 125 touches, which I think is like a record for touches in the game it was just you know an absolute joy to watch and you know I think I quoted Conscious Hell last week when we were talking about Sergio Oliveira saying I thought it was harsh saying that when he said um, in a press conference that Vitinha is better than Sergio Oliveira 
it might not be wrong, Albert. <laughs> mm. The guy is so good. If you have free kicks to his game, he's definitely got <laughs> a big yeah. argument. Well, look, let's talk about Pastos Barney before we move on. I mean, I've not got a lot to say, but one player that I did want to mention because I've had him on my notes for like a few weeks now and, and you know, just never got around to mentioning him on the show. So I do want to give him a bit of praise. That's Marrakesh, the centre-back. Um, we always talk about good players outside the big three, you know, who are the hidden gems. And he is one centre-back, I think, sometimes does go overlooked. Interestingly, Barney, just to back that up, he's got the most interceptions in the league this season, which is quite interesting. Three tackles won and three interceptions in this game against Porto. Obviously, that didn't change the result and he's conceded two goals in the game. But, um, yeah, he's a player that I like a lot when I watch um, and someone that I've you know I've wanted to big up for a few weeks now. And, yeah, there you go, Marrakesh. You can have that if you like. He's really impressed me. And, you know, I always think back to us at the beginning of the season where we were, we were given this Pastor Ferreira team no chance worthy. And, you know, and how wrong have we been? I think I think this was their I think this was their best eleven, in my opinion. I think we've held a Ferreira in the, in the front three and um the midfield three of Luis Carlos Estaco and Nuno Santos, I think just looks I think Nuno Santos gets better every game he plays for Pastos, you know, a young player, but he's he's getting more and more confident. So absolutely. And you know, he's sometimes when asked to play as a six, uh, you know, or an eight, I think or he almost played like a, a ten in this game. And uh, you know, I thought it was a good goal as well. By the way, I think that was a. It looks. It was actually more difficult than it perhaps looked. Um, for that finish, and you know, even though they lost the game, I thought that they were well organised. I felt everyone knew their jobs. They, they, they did it pretty well. I thought, and um, there was a passage in the second half. I remember where they absolutely looked like the better team, and you know, really knocking on the door for um, an equaliser. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm impressed with them, and I think um. Yeah, I think I was a bit harsh on George tonight. I think when when they appointed him, I, I kind of suggested that maybe they'd been a bit hasty and they could have waited around for for someone better. But as you say, you're totally right. They're they're, they're doing much better than than we gave them credit for this season. So long may it continue. Obviously, I feel like we're kind of secret Passos fans now that we've been part of their European journey. Um, but yeah, no, great to see them. Great to see them doing well. Um, and just to do the last of the big three, Barney, let's talk about Sporting. Uh, and who beat Aruka 2-1, a healthy win for Sporting, their third win in a row uh, in the league with goals from Matis Nunes and Nuno Santos, the other Nuno Santos. Um, and after Benfica's loss, of course, puts them back within one point of Benfica and keeps pace with the title challenge. Well, I, when I saw the team sheet on the live score app, it had um, it was completely wrong. It had Pedro Porope in left back and uh, they going like a 4-3-3. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they thought was going on. But I... You know, what was interesting though was seeing Pedro Poe and his guy playing at the same time with Nuno Santos as a as a left wing back, his guy is playing as a sort of centre back. And you know, when you look at this back five and player, but with you know Mateus Race in there as well, it's I was a little worried. I thought this what what the hell is going on here? But I actually thought it was all right. I think it's in, it's clear that Amarin is sort of having a, an issue now at left wing back, you know, perhaps not trusting Vinagre and doesn't want to put Mateus Race out there, but if he can play Nuno Santos there against teams like Aruka in the league, uh, where he, he's not going to have so much onus him to defend, I think it worked in this game. I, I, I liked it. I liked he, he was a, a, a real threat, obviously, being the, the, the width on that left-hand side. And uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't too against it. I mean, I, I had Nuno Santos down as man of the match, Barney. And I think, you know, it's very interesting to see him becoming more more and more of an influential player this season. Obviously, last year, he wasn't really a certain starter. He did get a very decent amount of minutes, but he was by no means a certain starter in that team. Obviously, with the arrival of Sarabia, um, we thought maybe he would be getting even less minutes, but Pedro Gonçalves has been injured. Joran Cabral has been in pretty bad form. As you say, maybe this change in position as well gets him in the team. Or He's becoming more and more of an important player for Amarim, and I thought you know his performance was excellent. He was a constant attacking threat, and he was well rewarded with his goal, which he took very well. You mentioned Mateus Riesbani. He's a player that I've hammered on this show many times. He's had a, he's had a couple of decent performances yeah. recently. What's happened to him? <laughs> Playing at centre back, keeping Zouar Fadao at the team. Who you know, Fadao was a rock last year, and and and, and Reece was an absolute mess. So you know, credit to him because he's done all right. Yeah, and you know he hasn't really been played in his, his favourite position, which you know was left back at Rio Ave. I think I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't completely convinced on this guy in that in that back three. But apart from that, I think you know they, they did well, and I think Amarin's sporting team don't perhaps have as much depth if you look at Porto and, ben, and Benfica's squad. So if he's able to do these play these sort of teams against 
teams like Aruka and 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 get away with it, then then that's obviously good for the for resting players. You mentioned Sarabia, but I think his class is really starting to show, isn't it? I think the a really amazing assist. I think most you know most people would have shot in that position, but he was smart to do that, and um, he looks to be um, coming into a bit of form. And then and then I just wanted to mention the, the, how nice it was to see Mateus Nunes and, and Brancanza in the in the same team at the same time. I thought Mateus Nunes being able to play a bit more forward worked really well and then Brancanza I, I, I don't know why we haven't seen as much of him yet this season he seems to everyone seems to be holding him back a little but he, I think he's ready to go man he, he was he was really really good as soon as as soon as the game was over Twitter was just full of people saying why isn't Brancanza getting more minutes yeah he, he looks fantastic and you know obviously it's difficult I think to fit him in a team where you've got to play Palina of course and you know I think Amarim maybe wants a little bit more experience with with Nunes, but you know the performance from Braganza suggests that you know he doesn't he doesn't need the experience. He, he's he's got the talent to 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 make the impact that he needs to make. And especially when you think about how Sporting have seemed to be struggling to create much in the, in the last few mm. games, you know, this guy's a player who'll be able to do that. He'll, he'll be able to find passes and um, yeah, I, I I hope you see more of him. Um, yeah, really good show. Just a touch on Aruka Barney. Uh, Ode Debag, the goal scorer, the Palestinian striker that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, got a very interesting story if you want to look him up. Um, the first Palestinian striker to play and score in one of Europe's top leagues. He got in the goal, he got on the score sheet again. Very well taken finish with a little uh, acrobatic volley. And, you know, lovely to see him back on the score sheet and doing well. The other thing I wrote down is that Abdullah Bash that scored, shouldn't he? He had, he had an Ooh, absolute... yeah. I mean, that could have really changed the game for Aruka. I think they've... Um... I've been pleasantly surprised by them this season. I think they um they seem to attack quite well in moments. I think um they're currently tenth in the league for shots per game, um which which is not bad, and they're not sort of coming up to sort of defend and you know try and grab a goal. They they they're, they're going out for it in games, and I think I feel like all the promoted teams really this season have been pretty decent out And you know compare that to say friends and Cedar National last season, where I just felt they were really out of their depth at some points throughout the season, but. All, all these, all, Vizetta, Aruka, obviously Esther Pryor, I think have all shown to be pre- pre- pretty handy. Only five points for the season though, Barney. I just feel like Aruka in danger of becoming the nearly team, you know, the team that we say, oh, they did well in the game, but then they got nothing out of it. And, you know, they've got to start turning decent performances into points at some point if they're going to stay up. And to be fair, how much, how many times we said that about Ferenc last season? So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's all about getting points on the board at the end of the day. Well, Let's talk about one of our games of the week that we suggested to our listeners last week. Braga versus Boa Vista, a game that ended 2-2. Um, now, long-time listeners to the show will know that we do love any excuse to give ourselves a little pat on the back. Uh, and let's be honest, they don't come around very often. But I will just remind the listeners that, of course, this was my game of the week recommendation. And I think it really was an exciting game of football, especially for the neutral like us. 2-2 it ended, of course. Both teams taking it in terms to come from behind to tie the game. Um, let's start a conversation with Bo Vista, Barney. They've been in good form recently, uh, but it is fair to say that they went into the game as underdogs, um, away from home against a team expected to finish a lot higher than them in the table. And they matched them toe-to-toe, I thought. They never looked out of their depth. Um, and I think going to head-to-head, to, head-to-head like that with a team who you know, are really favourites to finish fourth in this division and qualify for Europa League will be a massive boost for those Bovis the players and for the fans because you know I think with the momentum the momentum that they've got and the form that they're building they'll be thinking that the sky's the limit at the moment in terms of how high up the table uh, they could be finishing this year I think what they're they're doing this season which is um, perhaps we didn't see last season is they know what they're good at and they're, they're sticking to it and it's um and, and they want to hit teams on the counter attack. That's that's what they want to do. They're they're averaging the least amount of possession in the league at the moment with just thirty eight point seven percent so far this season. So when you've got players like Kenji Gori, I think Makuta in midfield is is has got got that pace that that energy to, to to drive the team forward. It's working really well. You know they tweet a little bit by playing NG and um, Pisa Musa in this game to sort of uh, uh, pressure that Braga back line. And, and I thought that was a great combination, and I, I really liked it. It paid off for the first goal, didn't it? And, and it was two very different goals. You know, obviously that, that goal that Pisa Muta got, he did really well to nick the ball off, off Tormena. Let's face it, that's nothing short of a defensive howler, though, which really gifted them the opening goal. And then, of course, a finish of the absolute highest quality from Yusuf Ng to grab the equaliser 
a lot of the hard work done by that player that you just mentioned, Barney Kenji Gori, to get this. You know, these are those are particularly are two players who I think are starting to look really dangerous in that bonus of attack. I think they're I think therefore in a really good partnership, uh, and they did link up again for that very special goal. Kenji's an interesting one, Barney. He's got the most assists per ninety minutes uh, of anybody in the league with zero point seven four assists per ninety minutes. I always backed him to succeed in this team. I know not everyone was blown away by his signing uh, and by his time at Nacional, let's be fair. But I just always thought whenever I watched him play at Nacional that there was enough positivity in his performances at a team that were really struggling and not particularly cohesive to show that if he was playing for a team like like Bovista are now, a more consistent team with a bit more quality, that he would start to show his talent. Yeah, and you look at his assist for NGZ Kurais in this game where he sort of, he had almost like four Braga players around him, didn't he? And mm. he, he had the the peace of mind to, you know, work out what the best thing to do was and, you know, laid it off NG and that, and that created the goal. I think, um, I, I've got to be honest, Al, when you, when he when he made this move to Bovis, I was like, oh, what's this? This, this isn't going to be anything special, but... um. Man, he, he's really, really surprised me and, and I'm so happy for him. Talk to me about Braga then, Barney. Is this a disappointing result for them? It's their second league draw in a row. That's three draws from their last four games in the league. Um, I think, although on balance this game, uh, I think a draw was the fair result. If I was a Braga fan, I would be getting annoyed now um, that they're drawing too many games. They're letting go of leads. They're not holding on to games that, that they could be. Um, and I think... What they need is is a result to be a catalyst for them to start being more ruthless, maybe be more clinical and be more dominant in games because they're just letting too many leads slip at the moment. Well, this is what I found really bizarre. If, if you if you look at if you look at this versus equalizer in this game, the position of the defense, how high up the pitch they were, how many players have bombed forward and at this point in the game you're 2-1 up and it was like minutes left to play I think it was like 88th minute wasn't it I don't understand how they can be putting themselves in that position it was it was absolutely dreadful and um, they've got 13 points from their first eight games this season if you compare the last season they had 18 points you know so there's a little of a, a, a step back there and I think anyway I feel like the screws are perhaps beginning to turn with Carver Howard in, in terms of the pressure is, is is starting to mount. I, things really need to start clicking soon because I was surprised that the president sort of come out back to him. He said he's the coach of Braga and will and will end the season at Braga. I think that's quite a bold statement to make for a coach who we've got to be honest is is under delivering with arguably a, a, a you know lots of people are saying they had the best transfer window of the of the summer. You know this is a strong squad, lots of depth, but it's not clicking. Well. You know, you talk about them underachieving, Barney. They've got 13 points. Estoril in fourth place have got 15 points. So they're two points off where we really expect them to be. Although when you say they had 18 points at this time last season, that would put them three points off first place. So, you know, maybe there has been a kind of a slight regression from last year. Um, people are going to get sick of me saying it. But like I said, it's a little bit too early for me to be making that kind of call because there is such a long way to go and, you know, if results go their way, maybe if they get a win next week, Porto Reynolds draw and Esther will lose, suddenly they're up to fourth place and things aren't looking so bad. But I agree, you know, it's as I just said, it's not been good because they've been letting go of games that they should be controlling. And I'm coming back to that point because I think that's the key thing about Braga this season that they need to improve on. And, you know, as I said, with a long way of the season to go, if they can get that problem sorted quickly, things will start to look a lot better, a lot quicker. Oh, do you think it's? Do you think Carl was trying to be too clever? If you see what I mean, I think how many different elevens have we seen start this this season? How many different formations have we seen? How many? Like I mentioned, the, the, the fact that they were going out for an, another win or another goal, sorry, in, in, a, in a in a winning position in this game in the 88th minute, it just seems like is it just getting too much? Does he just need to sort of keep it simple? Get a team and get bring players like Mario Gonzalez and Alvarez into, into a bit of form by giving them a bit of stability, get a bit of consistency. I mean, I don't think Mario Gonzalez is lacking is lacking support from the manager. He's played a lot of minutes this season, so you know, I think his lack of goals is not really down to to lack of opportunities. I think the thing I would disagree with there, Barney, is that um, I don't think this is a manager tinkering with things for no reason. I think um, Carlos Cavalio knows that there are weaknesses in that team, particularly in defence, as we saw 
uh, with Vitor Tomena in this game. Um, there's not enough players for me that he can 100% rely on. When you look at key players in that Braga team, who are you really looking at? Um, Mateus, the goalkeeper, maybe. Uh, Jan Kuto looks like a good prospect at right back, but he's a young kid and he's only just joined. Same with Diego Leite. He's looked promising, but he's on loan uh, and he's relatively new to that side. So when you're talking about key players, you're talking about Ali Almazrati, perhaps. Sequeira at left back, maybe. Ricardo Orta, definitely. He's been fantastic. Um, Luru Medeiros is looking good. And Galeno, maybe. But that's still only half the squad where you can really rely on those players. So I think for him, there are still a lot of question marks. And he does still need to find his best team. Whether or not he's picking the right starting 11s or making the right substitutions, I'm not the person to pass judgment because, you know, he's clearly a much more qualified person than me to make those decisions but I will say that the one thing I do sympathise with with him and with that Braga side is that I think there are still um, a lot of places up for grabs and a lot of places where they haven't quite got the the consistency that they need for me there just seems to be the same old story coming up time and time again this season which is like the key players you mentioned who put in regular good performance Jeremy Durrish Carlo Horta Galeno you know, they, these are consistent players who he, he can clear on them but the defence is letting them down. They need the strikers to get in form. My point about Gonzalez wasn't necessarily about him getting minutes. It was more about him knowing if he's going to be playing, what system he's going to be playing, who's what players he's going to have around him. You know, players will build relationships with the wingers, with the midfielders, you know, knowing when to what when runs to make and stuff like that. But if 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 it's being changed week in, week out, if 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 they're going with a back three one week or back with um wing backs one week and then going to a back four, it just it just changes these things and it becomes harder and harder to gel. And like you said, a lot of not only players this season, they need to gel quicker. Um I hope they do. I think they can, but um yeah, it's uh, I'm a little worried for them if I'm honest. I don't want to be too harsh on, on Mario Gonzalez. Um, but, you know, if I was a striker playing with the likes of Luis Medeiros, Galeno and Ricardo Horta every week, I think I would be hoping to bang in a few more goals than he has done this season. We'll, we'll move on from Braga. We do end up having the same conversations about <laughs> every week. <laughs> and we'll move on to, I think we've got a couple more games to do uh, before we round up. I think we're going to do one game each, right, Barney? Because we've both watched different games. I'm going to talk about right now, Family Cow versus... Victoria game that ended 2-1 to Victoria uh, and I thought this was a really interesting game to focus on because I think you had two very similar teams uh, coming head to head here both teams underperforming uh, and I think both teams really struggling defensively but with some attacking promise in the back of my mind I did think there might be goals in this game um, and in the end both teams did score and obviously Victoria won the game 2-1 that's a very very important three points for them and condemns Family Cow to another week of disappointment and roots into the bottom of the table. I have to say, though, it wasn't the greatest footballing display this season uh, from either team. We've mentioned it as an issue a lot this season on both sides, but the defending in general was quite poor. I thought the way uh, Moomin was dispossessed for Family Cow's opening goal was totally unacceptable. If, um, if Victoria had any decent centre-backs on their books, he would be dropped instantly. But... Sadly, I can see him walking straight back into that starting lineup next week. I'm not going to spend too long on the defensive issues, Barney, because you know we've obviously spoken about it a lot of the last few weeks. The one thing I will say though is that last week I called for Rashinia and Edwards to play together, uh, and this week we saw them combine for a goal and both have decent games individually. So I think um, if Victoria are going to experience improvements, it's going to be again from getting the best out of players like that. And to Pepper's credit, I said it the last couple of weeks. He is, at the moment, getting decent performances out of players like Marcus Edwards, who was far too inconsistent last year. Oh, but I feel like there's been um, a fair bit of talk about... Well, I've heard a few people say Marcus Edwards is overrated. He had that one good season. Um, they didn't manage to sell him. Do you feel like we have been over-positive about him because of the English national Or do you think you know he, he has got he has shown, shown enough quality? Well, the one thing we have to be totally open about and anyone who's just to show long enough will know that we're, you know we are biased towards towards British players it excites us to see them in the league and, and, and we want them to do well Marcus Edwards is no exception and I make no apologies for that um, I think do you know what was really interesting this week Barney was that Marcus Edwards did an interview on Victoria's social media channels something he very very rarely does you very very rarely see him speak um, and I saw an interesting comment on Twitter from somebody who'd watched the interview saying 
I've, you know, they'd never seen him speak before and they were shocked at how shy he was, at how reserved he was. And maybe that was, you know, a kind of indication of, of why he's not had perhaps the consistency because you can kind of tell that his personality is not one of those players full of self-belief, you know. And I think he's in a difficult situation because I think in an ideal situation, he would have a manager and teammates and senior players who would help him. I think, you know, the reality is obviously I don't know Marcus at all on a personal level, but he does strike me as the kind of player who needs an arm around the shoulder. And when you're playing in a foreign country, not living with your family and, and not with any kind of English mates around you, that, that might seem kind of um, very difficult, very difficult to achieve. So I think the honest truth, if I'm being harsh, is that I don't quite think he's in the optimum place for him to achieve his potential. I think it was a very brave move going to Portugal, but I think if we saw Marcus Edwards head back to England, I think it's possible that we would we would finally start to see the best of him. I hate saying that though, because you know, as, a, as an English guy doing a Portuguese football podcast, you know, I love watching players like him play play in Portugal, and and I think he has achieved a lot. But yeah, I think definitely there are there are a lot of reasons why he's not been quite as consistent recently. I also think it's easy to forget that he's um he's only 22 years old. You know, Pedro Gonzalez is 23. I I I rate him. I think he has got, I think he's got some real skill. I think he's been in a in a in a team, a struggling team for last season, which has really not helped his development. And and um he's been hindered in that sense. Um so yeah, I think this season is he's really starting to come alive and and, and see the the player that we're sort of expecting to see from last season. And I think Pepper's hopefully going to be the manager to to bring that out of him. I've got a sneaky feeling, Bonnie, that he's just that type of player that if you put him in a team surrounded by better players, uh, he's the type of player who, who, who would step up and, and match that. I don't think he's the type of player to be to be carrying a team, um, you know, for, 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 for good or bad, whether that's, whether that's a positive or a negative. Well, look, Bonnie, do you want to do your game, your uh, game of the week pick from last week? And another fantastic choice, I have to say, mate, Estoril versus Gil Vicente, another two-two game, a game full of goals and full of action. I think what we have here had here was, um, and the reason I picked it is, you know, two two teams high on confidence. I'd say um, good attacking threats, and it was a really well fought match, wasn't it? I think there was, you know, lovely back and forth from both teams, but also moments of domination from from each throughout. Um, I felt. Gil Vicente perhaps might have been disappointed with the result. I think overall they were, they were the better team. And that's all down to one man out at Samuelino. I, I, I feel like in previous games, he's, he's shone in moments. You know, he's had, um, he's popped up of a goal or taken a chance. But this game, he, he could properly influence it. You know, he was dragged Gil Vicente up the pitch. He, wor- he worked so hard on the left side side, you know, doing defensive duty as well. He was so confident on the bill and uh, confident on the ball, you know, Linked up well with Fran Navarro. Um, there's a really nice um, relationship between them two building there. I was so happy he was man of the match. I feel like it was just, this. This was his game. This was the you know properly announced on the stage of, as the the quality of player that he is. This guy is special, and uh, I was so happy to see it. I mean, we both love him. Um, I love watching him play. I love watching him score goals. Um, I want to ask you about Fran Navarro, Barney. What do you make of him? Because the stats are quite frightening. Is it five goals? this season in seven games. Is he the real deal? Is he a flash in the pan? What do you make of him? Is he going to be up there with the top goal scorers this season? Yeah, I think as a, as a striker in the Skill Vicente team, he is going to, he's going to get goals all season, I think. He's, he shows real intelligence and he's incredibly mobile and but also has that physicality to be a, a you know a target man if you will. But the way that they were playing in this game, you know, he was linking up with uh, Murillo on the right hand side as well, and uh, that front three just seems to intertwine so much. And um, it's such a good little signing. I mentioned it last week that you know it, all of these signings we could have sent are completely out of the blue and they're, and they're coming together so nicely. Um, Estrel Pryor though also have these sort of players. I think Andre Franco. You know, four goals, one assist. He got a, put a lovely penalty away. Just seems like a really classy player. You know, good vision. He can make these cute little passes. And then Barra came on in the second half as well, which I was really excited to see. And he 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 looked threatening. Uh, what what made me so happy about it is that I feel like watching Gil Vicente play a promoted team last season, I wouldn't have been as excited about it. But these two teams are in such a good moment, aren't they? And 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 um, both are definitely going to finish in the top half of the table for me. I like it. Big predictions. Well, look, that brings us to the end of our weekly roundup of games 
this week. Just time to have a quick look at the table. Who's moving up? Who's moving down? And again, Barney, it's the same as last week. The only team making real big movements is Tondela with another win. That's now two wins in a row. Six points in their last two games after only getting three points from their first six games. They're up to 10. We're going to have to focus on them next week because they really seem to be turning their form around. Although they beat B-Sad 2-0 this week and it seems like playing B-Sad is a, is a bit of a freebie these days. No, but they deserve credit. I think um, Jean Murillo, I think uh, Jamie Fuzz, uh, figure of the week this week for anyone, yeah. um, anyone else as to if anyone wants a good read. But John Murillo is, um, you know, he's a real quality player in that Tondeo team, and um, he, he was good for the goal. I think he assisted the first one as well. So um, yeah, have, uh, they they deserve their win, and um, uh, yeah, gr- so good for them, man. Is it, they're, mm. they're, they're, they're climbing up. Other than that, the table staying largely as it was last week. Benfica, Porto, and Sporting top three. Obviously, that gap now closed to one point. You've got Estoril, Portimonense, Braga, Vitoria, and Boa Vista kind of hovering around those European places. And down the bottom of the table, Family Cal, rock bottom on three points. B-Sad, second bottom with four points. And Aruka on five points. Well, look, that brings us to the end of the show. And it's usually at this point in the show that we would be recommending you some games of the weeks to watch. There is, of course, no game recommendations to make this week because we enter into the international break. That means two weeks without Premier League of fixtures, although in a couple of weeks' time, we will have tasted the league action and some really tasty fixtures already that me and Barney are looking forward to getting our teeth stuck into. We're not quite sure what we're going to do next week. We might try and sort out a little special show or we might have uh, a little week off next week for the international break. We'll let you know what happens but we'd just like to say thank you very much for listening to this week's show if you'd like to get in contact with us you can find us on Twitter at Football. feel free to send us over any messages or comments that you want we'll get involved you can email us at longballfootball at gmail.com but that just leaves me to say thank you very much once again and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week